This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Maria Bartiromo. I'm Brian Kilmeade, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, December 15th, 2023. I'm Jennifer Griffin, and this is my interview with Palmer Lucky, a leading tech innovator who is the founder and CEO of Andrel Industries. His groundbreaking technology is being used to fight for freedom against autocrats around the world and help the Pentagon to deter China from invading Taiwan. Palmer's first passion was video games. At age 19, he dropped out of school to sell his virtual reality hardware. I wanted to get people out of working on you know, augmented reality mustache emojis and put them to work on building autonomous weapons that would keep the United States safe and deter aggression from dictators around the world. This is the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Wearing Hawaiian shirts to work, the California native is a far reach from the typical prime contractors like Raytheon and Lockheed Martin, who usually work with the Pentagon. But more and more young entrepreneurs are making their way into the defense industry in a movement known as American dynamism. Venture capital firms are now investing millions of dollars in these founders and companies like Palmer's Andrel that support the national interest. Everything from aerospace and defense to improving the supply chain and manufacturing. This is a far cry from just a few years ago when thousands of Google employees signed a petition refusing to work on Project Maven, which would have allowed for AI to be used in weapons. I started Android because I wanted to build technology that would make America and our allies safer. We are speaking with Palmer Lucky, the founder and CEO of Android Industries. Technology that I did not think the existing major defense companies were focused enough on building technology that the major tech companies in the U.S. should have been building a decade ago uh, had they not abdicated responsibility for working with the United States government to keep our country safe. Why did they refuse to work with the U.S. government for so long? Well, the public reason, the one that's gotten so much attention is that this is a culture or an ideological issue, that people in Silicon Valley didn't want to work with the U.S. military. I actually don't buy into that. I spent years in Silicon Valley, and I'd say nine out of ten people agree that NATO should have better weapons than Russia. They agree the United States should have better weapons than China. Nine out of ten have no problem with people who work on building advanced military technology. 
The problem is that one out of 10 people who do have a problem with it were given a disproportionately loud voice, partially by the media, who found that a more interesting story to talk about protesters at Google who don't want Google to work on the military, uh, on the biggest military problems, uh, you know, or the, the same at companies like Apple. But it's really that 1%, or you know, one out of 10, were allowed to dominate the narrative because big tech companies had a practical reason to not work with the US DOD. They needed to keep the Chinese Communist Party happy. They were dependent on them for manufacturing in China. Imagine if during the Cold War, if our most innovative technology companies had had to do whatever would keep Soviet Russia happy and therefore refuse to work on national security problems. We wouldn't have Silicon Valley. We wouldn't have a tech industry. Imagine if in the buildup to World War II, if RCA or Westinghouse or General Electric had refused to do work with DOD on the basis of the idea that Imperial Japan was a huge manufacturing partner and a huge revenue opportunity for shareholders over the next three quarters. That's the situation that we've allowed ourselves to fall into as a country. That was why I started Andrew. I wanted to get people out of working on you know, augmented reality mustache emojis and put them to work on building autonomous weapons that would keep the United States safe and deter aggression from dictators around the world. Tell me a little bit about your bio and how you started Oculus and just your, your education along the way and how, just give me a little. Andrew's my second company. The first company I started was called Oculus VR. I started that when I was 19 years old, living in a camper trailer, putting myself through school. I dropped out of school so that I could commercialize some technologies that I'd come up with that made virtual reality hardware and software easier, cheaper, faster, better than what had come before. It made it easy for game developers to make virtual reality software that could then be played on a high-performance, low-cost VR headset. And that ended up really taking off. It turned Oculus into the first successful VR company in history. And uh, we ended up selling to Facebook for a few billion dollars. So you made your first billion dollars when you were 21. You know, I've, I've been lucky. And I've, I've, I've also been lucky enough to start two multi-billion dollar companies before turning 30. I, I'm on a roll. But you know, the difference between Oculus and Anduril is that Oculus was something I was doing because it was what I wanted to do. I was following my passion. I was following my dreams. I got into VR because that's what I was fascinated by as a teenager. I was building virtual reality headsets that were better than ones that anyone had ever built. And eventually I was able to turn that into a company like that. That's really cool. I really believe in the vision of virtual reality. Even today, even though I was fired by Oculus later and uh, I, I wasn't able to continue having an impact there. The difference with Anduril is that I chose to go into it not because it was what I wanted to do, but because I thought it was the most important thing that I could do. I would have had a lot more fun staying in video games, staying in virtual reality effectively really the toy industry but i wanted to do something that people were not doing which is building the types of advanced technologies that this country needs to stay safe and to help our adversaries stay away from the partners that we have around the world to try and make the idea of conflict with the united states unthinkable through overwhelming advantage in projection of force and violence tell me about your experience at oculus and doing business in china what did you learn well, I learned an enormous amount. I, I often say that I was part of the problem. I made millions of virtual reality headsets while I was at Oculus in China. There's a lot of reasons that companies work in China. The common one that people talk about is this idea that it's a lower cost workforce. It's not even really true. There's other countries you go to if you want a low cost workforce. People go to China 
because of the combination of great regulatory environment, the incredible supply chain and logistics chain, an, an enormously talented manufacturing base, a ton of enormously talented people. Were you burned by China? We were burned in a lot of ways, kind of continuously, but the, the, the burns were where the burns were the burns were worth it because of the advantage. I mean, we were having our IP stolen all of the time. We were being spied on all of the time. There was no respect for the idea of innovation as a thing that is worth protecting. I, the, so how did your experience in China affect how you do business at Andril? Do you have any manufacturing in China? We don't have any manufacturing in China. And I'd say there's, there's two levels to this. First is the legal and compliance side. We do not build things in China to the extent that is required by the law. And when you're a DOD contractor, the laws are quite stringent. There's a lot of rules about what you can and cannot do when it comes to foreign supply chain. But Andrew goes further than that. We don't just comply with the law, we comply with reality. We take every possible step to not be dependent on Chinese materials, Chinese supply chain, Chinese engineering. There's a lot of companies out there that are technically compliant with the law that are screwed if the United States ever puts sanctions on China. This is why you see major defense company executives saying things like, oh, we can't really fully decouple from China. We will we'll never actually separate ourselves. To me, that seems a little bit two-faced. How can you, on the one hand, say that you're not going to decouple from China, that it's not really possible, which you see in so many US businesses, not just in DOD, and then at the same time, be building things that are only going to be useful if we are decoupled from China in a fight for our lives. You have to pick one or the other. What does American dynamism mean to you? I think that it is about not just trying to rebuild what America has lost, which is a lot of things. The ability to be a manufacturing leader, the ability to build things that are truly better and bigger and more inspirational than anywhere in the world. But it's not just about a return to the past, it's a vision for the future. What could we do if we decided we are going to do the best version of the world? It's not a return to 1960s America, it's trying to drag 2060s America into the present. American dynamism is really this movement around a lot of companies that are asking those big questions in their respective sectors. And it is different for every sector. In the defense sector, I think, it's what technologies do we need to build to leave to a world that is safe and free of violence to the greatest extent that is possible. We will never fully eliminate violence, that's clear. But we can make a world where we have an unfair advantage, where the countries that believe in self-determination and democracy build technologies that naturally accrue benefits to the defender, that accrue benefits to these democratic self-governing nations. I, I think that's totally possible and it's a future we need to get to as quickly as possible. Is it cool to be patriotic now? Is it cool to be patriotic? I mean, it's always been cool to be contrarian and I think right now it's, uh, it's been a little contrarian to be very patriotic. I'd say now that things are changing. I've, I've, I've talked frequently about the fact that the last year is uh, the Palmer Lucky I Told You So tour. When I started Anderl, it was not cool to be patriotic. That's for sure. It was, especially in the tech industry. It, it was, it, you know, people were decrying the idea of, you know, being proud of your country because it's your country, rather than an, an, you know any inherent individual fact as nationalism. It's toxic. It's it's, it's jingoist, and uh, especially the idea that we should be building better and more weapons was decried as either immoral, 
maybe a waste of time because there weren't going to be any more large-scale conflicts. We lived at the end of history. Economic entanglements precluded the idea of large-scale violence or, or you know, maybe just inherently evil. And there were a lot of people who refused to talk to me after I got into the weapons space saying exactly these things. We've seen that that's not the case. Look at what's happened in Ukraine. Look at what's happened in Israel. Look at what's brewing in Taiwan. Look at what might be on the horizon in countries like the Philippines or India or Japan or South Korea. We're not living in a world absent violence. And so I, I, a lot of these things that I was saying seven years ago have, 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 have come to pass. And I don't know if I'd say that now patriotism is cool. I don't know if building defense stuff is cool outside of a, a, narrow, a narrow area, but I'd say nobody thinks that it is evil. And that's a step that I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see. What do you think the turning point was? Do you think it was Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Yes, that was the turning point. And I wish that it wasn't. I gave a talk a couple years ago called why current year is too late to care about current thing. And I explained that if you want to stop an invasion, if you want to stop Russia, China, or anyone else from trampling on the rights of these democratic nations, if you want to stop them from murdering civilians, you have to get involved well ahead of the invasion. It's too late. Once the invasion is start, you can't wait till after the invasion to have an emotional response saying, oh my God, I want to get involved. I want to help. The time to help was two or three or four years ago because you fight wars with the tools you have, not the tools that you want to have that you're making for the future. I'm glad that people are changing their minds, but I wish that they were changing their minds in a principled way based on the fundamentals of the world rather than in kind of an, an emotional response. The good news is the invasion of Ukraine was a turning point. I think it, it catalyzed a lot of emotion that is turned into people looking at this problem with fresh eyes and realizing that they can be a part of it now and they can prevent conflicts from happening in the future that otherwise would have been devastating. We've been speaking with Palmer Lucky. More after this. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Tell me about your products and what was being used in Ukraine, what is being used in Ukraine now, and could they have possibly prevented the Russian invasion? That's a difficult question. I mean, so we've been involved in the conflict since the very beginning. We've had Android hardware in Ukraine since the second week of the war. I can't talk about the specifics of exactly what it is or how it's being used, but there's public information about, out there about some of the things that we've sent over there on, for example, the loitering munition side as part of aid packages. We've talked about some of the other aircraft that we've, that we've sent there as well. The interesting thing about Ukraine, though, is that we had been talking to them since long before the war. I first met Zelensky in 2019 in New York City to talk about applying our border security technology using autonomous surveillance towers and AI processing to tackle the problem of eastern Ukrainian border security so that they could know when Russia was moving intelligence assets back and, the, back and forth across the border, when they were crossing the border for military purposes, and also we would have been able to potentially provide targeting information to long-range precision fires that could have stopped Russia in their tracks before they got to any of these civilian populated areas. Unfortunately, the position of the U.S. at the time was that it, Ukraine was not a country that 
we wanted to be providing with really advanced weapon systems, advanced technology that represented the cutting edge. And it was also seen as something that might provoke Russia. You know, there was this idea a few years ago that Ukraine was not going to be invaded by Russia and that that was just saber rattling on the part of Russia. I wish I could say that I fought hard for this. I wish I could claim that I was the guy who saw it all coming, but I didn't. I bought into the idea that Ukraine was not going to be invaded. And I wish I had pushed harder because I think if we would have been able to get our technology in there in, in the years that we had to do so, we could have maybe not stopped the invasion, but we would have made a material difference in the early days of the invasion when an advantage would have been a really, really powerful thing. Would but, your equipment have been able to perhaps stop that Hamas incursion? Look, I think my equipment's the best around, and there's a lot of things that we are good at detecting that some other systems are not. But the thing you have to remember is, I, I don't see this as a failure of the technology so much as the result of an adversary who was very, very well equipped and able to identify exactly what the weak points at a, at a given moment were. I've had people ask over and over, well, isn't this a, isn't it, doesn't this show that Israel failed to defend itself? Isn't this a failure of technology? I mean, you have to remember the founders of Hamas are literally billionaires. You have to remember they're backed by powerful nations all over the world. They're being armed by Iran, one of the largest and most effective militaries on the planet. This isn't a ragtag group of community organizers who kicked down a fence and walked past some cameras. These are very, very well-equipped adversaries that have very good intelligence from very, very powerful military and intelligence apparatuses that desperately want to exterminate Israel. And so I, of course, think that you can always improve. There's always room for improvement. Uh, but I, I don't see this as a failure so much as a reflection of the fact that when you have really determined adversaries who are very, very good at what they do, they are going to find the holes in your system, whether that's a manned system or a technological system. Like, were there points where the technology could have done better? Yes. But I'm not sure that a, that a human-optimized strategy would have been better. Is, Israel, Israel's done a really good job of having overlapping tech and people. Clearly, it wasn't, it wasn't quite enough. Is the Pentagon waking up to the fact that it has a broken procurement process? And what role is Andrel playing in that? Uh, I don't even know if they're waking up to the problem. I think that they've recognized it for years now. The zeitgeist is certainly with companies like Anderl that are defense product companies, not defense contractors, meaning we use our own money to build products and then sell them to the government without forcing taxpayers to take on the development risk of programs that often go years and billions of dollars over schedule at the taxpayer expense and to corporate benefit. People are sick of this. They don't want it happening anymore. There's nobody in Congress that wants it to happen. There's nobody in America really who wants it happening. I'd say one of the biggest reflections of this is really attitudes about the F-35. And I, look, I think it's a very great, it's a great aircraft, but there were a lot of people who woke up one day in America when it was a $999 billion program and they didn't think about the F-35 at all. And then when it ticked over to a trillion dollars, something broke in people's minds and people woke up and realized something is so wrong, something is broken, we have to do things differently. And I, I would say the F-35 going over one trillion in spending might be the single most important thing for driving that mass recognition that things were broken and that we need to do better. Uh, I, I think we actually might end up making the money back in savings uh, due to changes in attitude that result from it. 
You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.